Nuclear 2021. Wasn't it supposed to be better than 2020? LOL. But as the years go by, nothing really changes in Nukeland, except to take another year off the 24,000-year half-life of radioactive plutonium. Let's see, since the dawn of the atomic age, that would be, what, 23,924 to go? And that's just the first of 20 half-life cycles? Oh, well, it's just another same old, same old for those of us stuck, which we all are, in that awful, dangerous seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This is our annual special edition of Nuclear Hot Seat, Numbnuts, of the year. In it, we take a look back at 2021 through the lens of the most rant-worthy stories that crossed my desk. Now, these are not necessarily the most important or influential stories, but certainly the most infuriating, nonsensical, tisk-inducing, head-shaking, and heartbreaking stories of nuclear short-sightedness, misdirection, miscalculation, propaganda, criminal incompetence, and the people and governments and media outlets that fell for their nonsense. I'm leaving the Olympics out of it because they were so 2020 and 2021. But other than that, we'll hear all about the headliners. Fukushima, Chernobyl, the media, weapons, reactors, radiation, waste, culminating in the highly prized award, numbnuts of the year. I can just hear whole tech the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Tokyo Electric Power Company, and George Monbiot chomping at the bit to find out which one of them gets this year's award. When, let's face it, they are all so worthy. Today is Tuesday, December 28, 2021, and here is this week's special, Numbnuts of the Year. Starting off, where else, with Fukushima where Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, and the Japanese government are always engaging in blatant numbnutsery. Take this appeal to residents of the area around Fukushima Daiichi from episode number 499, January 14, 2021. Nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, numbnuts of the week. The Japanese government is so desperate to have people move back into Fukushima to continue their cover-up of the dangers of radiation following the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster, that they will pay you to move back. No, really. Japanese government grants of up to 2 million yen will be provided next fiscal year to people who move to one of 12 municipalities surrounding the Fukushima nuclear plant disaster site. 
Now, before you get all excited at that sound of two million, know that that translates into U.S. dollars, 19,200, and that's over a period of five years. So it comes out to only $1,500 a year. And over five years, it breaks down to $321 a month. Is that what your life and your genetic future is worth? The 12 municipalities, all in Fukushima Prefecture, are Futaba, Okuma, Tomioka, Nabie, Itate, Kawamata, Minimasoma, Katsurao, Noraha, Kawauchi, Tamura, and Hirono. The 2 million yen grants will be offered, likely next summer or later, to families that did not live in the 12 municipalities at the time of the 2011 accident. For a single-person household who is a newcomer to the prefecture, the grant will be 1.2 million yen. And somebody from Fukushima Prefecture who scoots on back, it's 800,000 yen, or $7,685, which breaks down to $125 a month. And they would have to live there for five years. Well, I don't know about you. But there isn't enough money in the world to get me to move back to that kind of contaminated environment. And that's the exact same problem you heard about in the previous story, where 65% of evacuees from Fukushima took a look at what was going on there and went, nah, don't think I'm coming back. But still, anybody connected with nuclear thinks money is more important than any other consideration. And what do you mean we can't bribe you and trick you? into coming back here. And that's why government of Japan, whoever is behind this scheme to bribe people back into Fukushima Prefecture, you are this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none nuts out a week. Okay, we'll cut down on the tags from now on. So what kinds of things are former residents around Fukushima being asked to return to? How about considerations for their health? Episode 501, from January 28. The review committee for this thyroid test, which has found more than 200 people with thyroid cancer, raises the theory of what's being called overdiagnosis, put that in quotes, and this is what is being said among the so-called experts who deny the effects of radiation exposure. They say that they are finding thyroid cancer that they do not have to find, and there is growing opinion that the mass examination of school should be reviewed, in other words, canceled. Shoichiro Tsugane, a member of the National Cancer Center, said, The discovery of thyroid cancer has little benefit in avoiding death or poor quality of life, especially when you are diagnosed with thyroid cancer. I think it will be a huge disadvantage for those who do. Thyroid examination in a group of asymptomatic healthy people is not desirable. What? You've not heard of diagnostic testing? And it gets worse because members of the Prefectural Health Investigation Committee, especially members who reside outside of Fukushima Prefecture, are calling for the cancellation or reduction of examinations because, hey, when you have a radiation-induced public health crisis, the last thing you want is verifiable data as evidence that confirms that the problem is just as bad as people thought if not worse. In truth, 
Thyroid cancer has recurrence and metastasis, and early detection and early treatment are beneficial for the child. And that's why you miserable, duplicitous members of the Prefectural Health Investigation Committee in Japan, you are this week's Nuts of the Week. Then there's word on the condition of the storage tanks that hold radioactive water from the destroyed Fukushima Daiichi reactors. It's so reassuring. Not. From episode 543, November 17. In Japan, Tokyo Electric Power Company has released new information about solid radioactive waste containers. 5,338 containers were inspected, and of those, 304 had significant corrosion, and 342 had significant dents. So how did TEPCO repair, put that word in quotes, these radioactive waste containers? By applying large adhesive-backed plastic sheets to the areas of the metal containers that had suffered corrosion damage and leaks. No other sealing work appears to have been done to these containers. They didn't even use duct tape. And no word was offered on this plastic sticker material or the expected durability of the adhesive used. Maybe that's because TEPCO is still... Is TEPCO planning on disposing of this solid waste along with the radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean in 2023? Well, shoot. We're just going to have to wait to find out. And that's why, once again, Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, you are this week's NumNutsOfTheWeek! has the visuals on that, so if you want to see what NumNutsery really looks like around Fukushima, that's the place to go. Then, of course, there is the threatened, promised, planned for release of that radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean, a story TEPCO and the Japanese government has been flogging since 2012. It registered so high on the NumNuts scale in 2021, there were four times it won the honor. Here's just one from April 28, episode number 514. In response to the protests and international pushback to Japan's plans to release Fukushima's radioactive water into the Pacific, how does the Japanese government choose to try to dispel concerns? With a cute cartoon mascot. Tritty, the snub-nosed tritium mascot, is the latest brain bust by advertising megalith Dentsu, the company behind all those failed Olympics-promoting schemes. On Tuesday, April 13, Japan's Reconstruction Agency released a flyer and video on its website featuring the harmless little guy to explain that ocean release of water-containing tritium is standard practice at nuclear power plants around the world. Yes, but that doesn't make it right, let alone in the quantities that Japan is proposing to release from Fukushima. As Riken Kumatsu, a writer involved in reconstruction activities in Iwake, treated about the character, it makes a mockery of risk communication. The gap between the gravity of the problems we face and the levity of the character is huge. Faced with universal mockery, shaming, and loss of face, Tritty was removed from public view after only 24 hours but not before screenshots made it infamous around the world for its tone-deaf response to an ongoing nuclear tragedy. And that's why Japan Reconstruction Agency and Dentsu Public Relations, you are this week's Nuts of the Week. How do they get away with it? The communications media 
both online and mainstream, are the unindicted co-conspirators in the hiding, covering up, obfuscating, or just lazily getting wrong all of these nuclear stories. My longest numbnuts ever was earned by The New Yorker, as it went full-on pro-nuke. Here's what I had to say for episode number 505, April 25, 2021. This one is so heinous and duplicitous, I don't even know where to start. The New Yorker, once an honored publication, published a massive article entitled The Activists Who Embrace Nuclear Power. Make no mistake, it is a full-on propaganda piece, unbalanced by any genuine concerns expressed by genuine activists who oppose nuclear. This one got all its talking points from pro-nuclear sources and focuses on two women who are employees of the Diablo Canyon Nuclear Power Station in California and who were coached into creating an organization that is supported and promoted by the nuclear industry to spread lies and keep Diablo Canyon operating beyond its announced 2024 and 2025 closures. I only have time to cover a few of the lies put forth, but among them, the two women cited as so-called activists have been financially supported by their nuclear employees, being allowed to take time off from work, have their travel expenses reimbursed, and who knows what other kinds of bonuses, perks, and raises have come their way as they did their nuclear master's bidding. They ripped off their name, Mothers for Nuclear, to diss and undercut the 48-year-old San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace, which is a genuine activist group that was formed in large measure to protest Diablo Canyon. Indeed, Mothers for Peace was not even mentioned in the article. Nothing counter to the pre-chosen narrative was. These women have been intensely coached by the Schillberger himself, Michael Schellenberger, who they booked to speak to Diablo Canyon employees to organize them, quote, for the sake of their jobs and the planet, while the two women baked chocolate chip cookies for attendees, still doing kitchen duty. With sly wording, this article repeats the lies that nuclear is green and carbon-free, Every volitional adjective that could be used on nuclear minimize the risks. Huge amounts of energy, small footprint. The risks are minimizable with no evidence or plan to minimize it. No footnotes at all. The article cited as proof that nuclear was safe. The oft-told lies that not only did nobody die at Three Mile Island, quote, the accident had no detectable health consequences which will come as a real shock to epidemiologist Joseph Mangano of Radiation and Public Health Project, who has the medical evidence and the numbers and sources to back it up. Nuclear engineer and whistleblower Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds Energy Education, who has done a massive and intensive investigation into the causes of Three Mile Island and why there were not enough radiation monitors and they weren't in the right places to register how much radiation really was released. And there are the more than 4,000 members of the online Facebook Three Mile Island Survivors site who regularly compare notes on cancer deaths and radiation-related illnesses they and their families have suffered through the years. It slams Fukushima survivors as having, quote, few health risks connected to radiation exposure in Japan. While on nuclear hot seat number 498, Dr. Alex Rosen of International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War explains exactly how Japan has rigged the medical data 
to not reflect the actual situation, specifically thyroid cancer cases, rates, and deaths among Fukushima's child survivors. Other basic criticisms and issues were dismissed with a single sentence, usually couched in parentheses. The question of long-term storage remains fraught. Fraught? That's the best word you can come for the forever nightmare of nuclear waste? The small modular nuclear reactors being loudly touted as nuclear solutions, with only a tiny sentence in parentheses, these reactors are still in the experimental phase, meaning they don't exist. What is being touted is a fiction, a fantasy, a lie. There's an excellent rebuttal to this slobbering piece of pro-nuclear garbage that was sent to the New Yorker editors by Dave Kraft, the head of Nuclear Energy Information Service based in Chicago. We'll have a link up to his talking points on our website. But damage has been done. Lies enshrined. Liars burnished to a nuclear glow as they, quote, are here to offer the motherly side of nuclear. Nuclear for the future nuclear for our children, for the planet. Hogwash and all those words I can't say on a broadcast program. And that's why New Yorker, naive, non-investigative talking point pusher Rebecca Tuhus-Debro, and you two traitors to the future, your children, and the planet. You are this week's, month's, and so far this year's most despicable None that's out of week. Even longtime favorite reporters and news sources of mine came in for the wrath of numbnuts. Here's what I had to say about Dan Rather and News and Cuts for episode 540 on October 27. Such nuclear myopia. This week, the Biden administration released four separate reports on how climate change threatens U.S. national security and will likely create conflict around the globe. These included a report on migration, the national intelligence estimate, and separate analyses from the Defense Department and the Department of Homeland Security. And how many times did they mention anything nuclear? Just once, as in, some of the countries most vulnerable to climate change, like India and Pakistan, are nuclear powers. Climate catastrophes might jeopardize the security of their weapons. Yeah! But what about right here in the good old USA? In case you haven't noticed, the United States is a nuclear power. And climate catastrophes might jeopardize the security of our weapons. And then there's the potential flooding of coastal nuclear reactors from sea level rise. See Fukushima to understand what that can lead to. And then there's the possibility of dam overflow flooding from torrential rains and dam failures upstream of nuclear reactors that could flood out emergency cooling systems. Again, if you want to understand what that means, see Fukushima. And then there is this finding. More powerful storms and more frequent flooding are threatening military preparedness. Domestic bases like Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida and Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune in North Carolina have already endured billions of dollars worth of damage, and sea level rise in the Pacific jeopardizes key, quote, war-fighting infrastructure. Well, we can't have anything damaging our ability to make war, can we? All of which goes to show that when it comes to nuclear dangers created by climate change, 
The current administration in Washington has just as big a blind spot as the previous ones. And that's why Biden administration and all those reports on climate change and national security, you are this week's Nuts of the Week. Food is always a great topic for delicious radioactive contamination and succulent official cover-ups. Take a taste of this numbnuts from episode number 502 on February 4th. PBS presented a story entitled, California Wines Contain Fukushima Radiation and It's Not a Bad Thing. Say what? According to this report, written not by a PBS News staff member, but by somebody just wafting through on a student fellowship, the only thing that radiation in wine does is prove the vintage. Different levels and kinds of radiation show up for different years. Well, that's great if you're a wine snob worried about the vintage. But as for the health consequences? This report claims that the amount of cesium-137 radiation in a bottle of California wine from vintage years 2011 on is, quote, too small to harm a person's health. Well, on its own, that might be true. But that measurement is based upon the impact from external radiation dose, not internal. And let's face it, the purpose of wine is not to apply it topically. One atom of cesium-137 stuck anywhere in the body puts the gamma radiation it releases up close and personal with your organs, blood, brain, all your bodily systems, and over time, that one atom can create cancer or other health damage. It's just impossible to track it back to that glass of wine you drank. Also, radiation from your wine is not the only radiation our bodies are subject to. So whatever comes internally from wine is in addition to anything that you might breathe, drink, or eat that has radioactivity in it. And one never knows when that radiation will turn, turn into a straw that breaks the camel's back, back and impacts your health. your health. So when the wine scientists declare that it's safe to drink radioactively contaminated wine because there's not a lot of radiation in it, and besides, it's an excellent vintage, they're not looking at the cumulative effect of that radiation. They're just flogging wine and pay no attention to that little radioactive man behind the curtain. Well, I'll drink to that, or preferably not. And that's why PBS NewsHour and article author Amanda Grinnell, who was a PBS NewsHour fellow, is not a nuclear expert, and has written not one other paper on radiation because she doesn't know the field, you are this week's Numbnuts of the Week. China has got its branding focus just a wee bit off. Episode 523 from June 30th. In China, the Zhejiang-based bottled water brand Nongfu Spring has received backlash from its Chinese netizens after its peach-flavored sparkling water was marketed as sourcing peach ingredients from Japan's Fukushima Prefecture. Mm-mm-mm. Tastes good and it glows in the dark. A Chinese netizen posted a photo on social media platform Weibo showing an advertising board in a supermarket saying a peach-flavored sparkling water from Nongfu Spring uses Atakuti peach 
from Japan's Fukushima Prefecture as an ingredient, along with screenshots of the drink's introduction from Nongfu Springs' official WeChat account stating, the peach is from Japan's Fukushima Prefecture. Upon learning of this citizen-led outing of their ingredient, Nongfu Spring updated their website saying that the company just used a recipe to imitate the taste of the peach. Later, they changed their story to emphasize that it was the type of peaches mentioned in the advertisement that originated from the Fukushima, but they had been introduced to China in the last century. Still, no word from the company whether they were using artificial ingredients to imitate the flavor of Fukushima peaches, whether they were using originally from Fukushima peaches that were now in China, or whether they had been caught out in something else. Meanwhile, the shares of Nongfu Spring fell 1.58% on Monday, following the online backlash that started on Sunday. Using anything from Fukushima as a sales promotion point? What were your advertising people thinking? And that's why, Nongfu Spring, you are this week's Nuts of the Week! And when it comes to making long-term decisions about safety and radiation, the U.S. is never far behind with bad thinking. Episode number 537, October 6. On Wednesday, September 22nd, the United States lifted an import ban on food products from prefectures hit by the earthquake, tsunami, and triple nuclear meltdown disaster that struck Fukushima and northeast Japan in 2011. The ban following the tsunami-triggered meltdowns included rice, peaches, and shiitake mushrooms produced in Fukushima. This decision came after the U.S. Food and Drug Administration determined, quote, a very low risk to American consumers from radioactive contaminated foods imported from Japan. Now let's unpack that statement, which is a direct quote. First of all, anything that has any radioactivity in it is not no risk. It may be what they consider low risk, but low compared to what? Just one atom of a radioactive element ingested into the human body that sticks there will continue irradiating it up close and personal with your internal organs for as long as it stays there, which could be until you die, possibly from its effect, which could include cancer. Also, they're not saying that there is no radioactive contaminated food imported from Japan. They're just saying it's a very low risk, but they admit that there is radioactive contaminated food imported from Japan. Now, this might be a Freudian slip, it might be semantic shenanigans, or just another money-based nuclear decision to go, hey, don't worry about it. It's not a problem, at least until it is. And that could take a lot of years to show up, but that doesn't mean it's not going to. So, you know, for the sake of your health and your safety, it's not that hard to read labels and just avoid anything that may have been imported from Japan. And in the meantime, this is why Food and Drug Administration, for this decision, you are this week's Numbnuts of the Week. We'll continue with our annual feature, Numbnuts of the Year, in just a moment. But first, 
As we come to the end of the holiday season, we understand that gifts come in all forms. For example, my weekly gift to you is Nuclear Hot Seat, a program that brings you up to date on nuclear issues around the world from that different perspective. Guests this year alone have included activists, attorneys, medical doctors, epidemiologists, engineers, downwinders, authors, filmmakers, anyone of interest I could find who is fighting against some aspect of the nuclear industrial complex. It's my honor and privilege to be able to speak with such people, ask them all the questions I can, and then share their answers with you, the listeners, literally around the world. But producing this show takes more than just my time and energy. It requires money. And like so much of the rest of the world at this time of year, that's what I'm reaching out to you about. Quite frankly, the COVID pandemic continues to hit this show hard. We've not been making our monthly nut, which means that I am out of pocket. And I don't have a pocket. To keep Nuclear Hot Seat going is going to require your support. So whether you're a weekly listener or just pay attention to the occasional episodes, if you find you get value from what you learn here, please help us keep doing it. It's easy. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red donate button. That's where you can send a one-time donation of any size or set up a recurring donation of as little as $5 a month. The same as a cup of coffee and a nice tip here in the U.S., So buy Nuclear Hot Seat a cup of coffee every month, if you would, please. We won't drink it. It will support the show. And know that as we face ear that we hope will be better than 2020 or 2021, Nuclear Hot Seat will continue to provide you with nuclear news. Know that however much you can help at this time, I'm deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. And now we continue with this week's special feature, Numbnuts of the Year 2021. The threat of nuclear war and weapons is a serious subject that gets covered regularly on the show. But let's face it, there's nothing like the threat of nuclear war to make military hawks and munitions makers exude copious bodily fluids, meaning they drool. Dead people and broken DNA? Meh! They're too busy counting profits to count bodies and to worry about a little thing like life. From episode 518 on May 23rd, Who can fathom the military mind? Writing in the U.S. Naval Institute Journal, Admiral Charles A. Richard warned that the military must, quote, consider the possibility of great power competition, crisis, or direct armed conflict with a nuclear-capable peer, and as a result, update and modernize its approach to its two principal adversaries. Admiral Richards went on to say, There is a real possibility that a regional crisis with Russia or China could escalate quickly to a conflict involving nuclear weapons, he wrote, demanding that the United States, quote, prepare for the conflict we prefer instead of the one we are likely to face, and that the U.S. risks suffering, quote unquote, embarrassment or worse if they do not act. Excuse me, I opt for embarrassment rather than nuclear war. What's with this, we get to use our Big Bang before you get to use your Big Bang thinking, actually makes sense. Even the headline of this article, Head of Strategic Command, U.S. must prepare for very real possibility of nuclear war with China. Well, if you're preparing for it, if you are visualizing it, if you are intending it, if you build it, they will come or we will go, and there goes the planet. 
As former military analyst and whistleblower Daniel Ellsberg explained in his book, The Doomsday Machine, Confessions of a Nuclear War Planner, in the event of a totally successful widespread American nuclear strike against the Soviet Union with no retaliation whatsoever, at least 99% of the world's population would die. As Ellsberg noted, it is the smoke after all, not the fallout, which would remain mostly limited to the Northern Hemisphere, that would do it worldwide. Smoke and soot lofted by fierce firestorms in hundreds of burning cities into the stratosphere where it would not rain out and would remain for a decade or more, enveloping the globe and blocking most sunlight, lowering annual global temperatures to the level of the last ice age and killing all harvests worldwide, causing near-universal starvation within a year or two. So Admiral Richards and all you military rah-rah nukes people who just can't wait to set off one of those puppies in order to compensate for your own shortcomings and inadequacies, know that you are this week's Numbnuts of the Week. As for profiteering, how's this for numbnutsery? Episode number 530 on August 17. As that old song goes, War! Good God, Jill, what the heck it good for? Absolutely nothing. Unless you're a weapons maker. In which case, yowza, break out the champagne. The Washington, D.C.-based advocacy group Public Citizen sent out a tweet last week saying, Entrenching U.S. forces in Afghanistan was the military-industrial complex's business plan for 20-plus years. The group added, Hawks and defense contractors co-opted the needs of the Afghan people in order to line their own pockets. Never has it been more important to end war profiteering. In today's tweet, Public Citizen highlighted returns on defense stocks over the past 20 years, as calculated in a jaw-dropping analysis by The Intercept, and stated the military-industrial complex got exactly what it wanted out of the war. Focusing on the five biggest defense contractors, Boeing, Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, and General Dynamics, it was calculated that a $10,000 investment in stock evenly split across those five companies on the day in 2001 that then-President George W. Bush signed the authorization preceding the U.S. invasion. That $10,000 would be worth $97,295 this week. Put a different way, defense stocks outperformed the stock market overall by 58% during the Afghan war. This may be the very definition of blood money. The Intercept's John Schwartz, who examined the returns on these stocks and came up with these numbers, said that the numbers suggest that it is incorrect that the Taliban's immediate takeover of Afghanistan upon the U.S.'s departure means that the Afghanistan war was a failure. On the contrary, from the perspective of some of the most powerful people in the U.S., it may have been an extraordinary success. And that's why warmongers, weapons manufacturers, and those who support them with your investment dollars, you are this week's Numbnuts of the Week. The nuclear industry is always coming up with new and crazy ways to promote itself including some really bad applications of its technology. Here's one from episode number 498, January 7, 
a way to start the year. You thought small, modular nuclear reactors were bad enough? Well, Argonne National Laboratory is developing a nuclear micro-reactor they say could be deployed at rest stops, meaning truck stops, providing a reliable, quote-unquote, carbon-free, that's a lie right there, charging source for electric semi-trucks. These guys are so teeny tiny, they're only about the size of two home water heaters. And what kind of terrorist possibilities does that present? Critics have pointed out the obvious, that there's insufficient evidence that small reactors are safer than large nuclear power plants, and also will take years before they're ready to be deployed, whereas new solar and wind resources could be built much more quickly. So stop linking green electric vehicles to nuclear, let alone nuclear that has not even been constructed at this point. So Argonne National Laboratories and the brainiacs behind this particular idea, you are this week's None That's Out of the Week. Here's another one from episode number 512 on April 14. A mammoth 984-foot giga yacht is planned to sail the open seas while housing 160 scientists working on board 22 laboratories and in a giant space sphere. This vessel is guaranteed to be packed with green technology and the capacity to hold more than 400 people and introduce features found on cruise, expedition, research, and luxury yachts, and more. Naval architect Ivan Salas Jefferson said, We wanted to create a design that would inspire them to protect the Earth, to become an alchemist of global solutions. And what powers this giga-yacht? nuclear. A molten salt reactor. So forget about clean, green, and saving the planet and all those scientists who are going to be on board. The brainiacs behind this giga yacht, which is not supposed to launch until 2025 and may not get there. All of you are this week's None That's Out of the Week. And when it comes to tech problems, you can always count on the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, episode 504 from January 17. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission was trying to hold a webinar, but had to cancel because of bad audio and video, claiming it was technical difficulties. This particularly galled the San Onofre activists, dozens of whom got up at the crack of dawn in order to make the 9 a.m. Eastern time for the call. The NRC recently moved to the WebEx platform instead of Zoom because it turns out the Chinese own a controlling interest in Zoom, though I don't know what information would be lost by using Zoom because, hey, it's a public meeting. Anybody can get in it. Makes you wonder how they regulate power plants, eh? And that's why, as is so often the case, Nuclear Regulatory Commission U are this week's None That's Out of the Week. Climate change in nukes is always a major topic, and we'll have more about that later. But here's a time when our side finally won one in preparation for the UN Conference on Climate, COP26. And those crybabies on the other side can't concede gracefully because bullies always think that they are destined to always win and can't stand when they don't. Episode 535 from September 22nd. The poor widow nuclear industry had their feelings hurt 
and they'd complained about being excluded from COP26, prompting environmentalists to say it should have no place there. But back to the numbnuts. Alok Sharma, who is UK president of the World Nuclear Association, a global trade body and spewer of pro-nuclear propaganda, has written a letter saying that every application made by nuclear groups for exhibits at the conference has been rejected and that this was, quote-unquote, very disappointing. In rebuttal, Richard Dixon, director of Friends of the Earth Scotland, said, The nuclear industry's disastrous history of cost and time overruns show very clearly what they offer would be too little, too expensive, and too late, and added, with renewables and energy efficiency cheaper and quicker to build and run than nuclear, they have already lost this argument and should have no place to spout their lies at COP26. To which we say, brava to COP26 and to the World Nuclear Association, which lists 193 nuclear companies as its members. As your consolation prize, you are this week's Now, governments around the world love to misuse taxpayer money on all kinds of nuclear numbnutsery. And how better way than to use it to hire propaganda shills for their own destruction? This story about the hiring of a Judas goat came from the UK on November 24, episode number 544. In the nuclear industry's never-ending quest to disassociate themselves from the deadly radioactive mess that they create with their nuclear power reactors, among other sources, they always try to locate the nuclear waste dumps in small communities that look like they could use a short-term, short-sighted economic boost. They found that bamboozling the local population is helped if they have some community worker dedicated to implanting their twisted propaganda in the minds and hearts of unsuspecting locals. Case in point, plans to dispose of Britain's nuclear waste stockpile underneath the Irish Sea off the UK's Cumbrian coast, 240 miles northwest of London. That campaign for building the latest in nuclear waste pit toilets will soon be aided and abetted by a propaganda flunky who will be hired and paid for by the Cumbria City Council. That's right, their tax dollars at work. The council has posted a want ad for what they call a nuclear engagement coordinator. That person's role will be, quote, to support the council's engagement in partnerships with government, industry, business, and community stakeholders to find a willing host community and suitable site for a geological disposal facility for long-term management of higher-activity radioactive waste. As a further come on, that person will gain opportunities to gain experience in a range of areas from nuclear policy to climate change or economic development. And, oh yes, unstated but still intended, Selling your soul and earning the condemnation of any friends and neighbors down through the generations who survived this invitation of the forever contamination of your land and water. This is all part of the nukester's ongoing campaign to kick the radioactive waste can down the road to somewhere they don't live by hiring a Judas goat from the local populace who sees this as a means of moving ahead in the world, if not shortening one's life. Hey, 
pay in the UK is between 27 and 29 and a half thousand pounds, meaning 37,000 to 40,000 and a half US dollars. But then again, how much do the cancer treatments cost for you, your family, your neighbors, and beyond? What about the emotional damage? The DNA? Is that anywhere in the job description? Nah. That's because this is just another example of the nuclear industry's game plan for increasing their profits while avoiding your consequences. And that's why Cumbria City Council and your overlords at Radioactive Waste Management, you are this week's Nuts of the Week. When it comes to the issue of radioactive waste, again, this is an issue we cover all the time in the news segment and the interview segment of the show. But sometimes what we learn transcends the news quality and fits best in numbnuts, such as this story, episode 541 from November 13. How about taking some time off from your COVID-encrusted life and going someplace new? For example, if you're looking for a hot new vacation hotspot, look no further. The nuclear industry has you covered. Episode 515 from May 5th. Vacation time is fast upon us, and with COVID restrictions on travel being dialed back, many people are determined to go out and have a life-affirming adventure getaway. And so they are heading straight to Chernobyl. That's right. Since the 2019 HBO hit series Chernobyl aired around the world, people are just dying to go visit the radiologically contaminated site. Literally dying. But of course... Not immediately. Chernobyl anticipates a major tourism bump in the wake of the historic nuclear disaster's 35th anniversary on April 26th of this year. Tour companies tout the area as, quote, safe for tourists, before adding, some areas are higher risk than others, and recommending that visitors avoid lingering near them. But even lingering in the so-called safe-for-tourists areas puts everyone there at risk. Just because people can walk away today doesn't mean that they're not taking home with them some unwanted souvenirs. Radioactive particles sequestered away in their hair, on their clothes, in their lungs, maybe in their digestive tract from food or liquids consumed while on site. Of course, by the time that souvenir makes itself known through cancer, infertility, birth defects, autoimmune conditions, or a wide range of other diseases, or death, it could be years or decades from now. And with so much time elapsed, it's doubtful that anyone will trace their health breakdown back to this wild post- or mid-COVID excursion. But just because you don't see the connection doesn't mean it's not there. And that's why, Anyone who is crazy enough to go to Chernobyl for a little vacay in a hot, meaning radiologically hot, climate, you are this week's Nuts of the Week. Or maybe what you're looking for is a great new hunting trip with maybe some newly mutated species to shoot. Episode 533, September 9. On August 30th, 2021, the Department of the Interior announced that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has opened new or expanded hunting and sport fishing opportunities across 2.1 million acres, the largest expansion of outdoor recreation opportunities in recent history. And what does that include? The Rocky Flats Radioactive Materials Dump, excuse me, National Wildlife Refuge. 
put that part in quotes. Yes, the former nuclear weapons manufacturing site near Denver, Colorado, is open for you to shoot radiation-addled mutant critters. These are beneficial because they will cook themselves from the inside out with the residual radioactive heat that they have ingested. Mmm, mmm, bad. And that's why, Department of the Interior, you are this week's Num Nuts of the Week. Propaganda for nukes takes all forms. And just when you think it couldn't get more despicable, there's this. Episode 529, August 10. Hey, fun lovers, action seekers, and kids of all ages. Want to earn a really cool Junior Ranger patch or badge? Then come on down to one of three Manhattan Project National Historical Parks. Yes, parks. That's what they call them. Meaning Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Home of the uranium enrichment plants, the liquid thermal diffusion plant, and the pilot plutonium production reactor. This is where the uranium-235 for the bomb dropped on Hiroshima came from. Then there's Hanford, Washington, and the beautiful Columbia River, where beginning in 1943, the site was used to produce plutonium for the bomb we dropped on Nagasaki. It's now considered the most contaminated location in the Western Hemisphere. Mm-mm-mm. And, of course, there's Los Alamos in New Mexico the top-secret atomic weapons laboratory where the first atomic bombs were designed and built. Lots of fun for the whole family. So heck, why not visit all three? All you have to do for your patch or badge, boys and girls, is go to the visitor center at any of these sites, pick up your Junior Ranger booklet, and tour the site. While you're there, be careful not to inhale any radioactive dust. Fill in the answers and either hand it in at the visitor center or mail it to the Manhattan Project National Historical Park and ba-bam! You will get our really cool patch or badge. It's much more exciting than a boring forest or a cookout with marshmallows. You'll get to see nuclear waste, experience our history of ecological and human disaster propagated on the world, and receive some propaganda that will neutralize any critical thinking by the younger generation. And that's why Manhattan Project National Historical Parks, put that word in quotes, and your sugar-coated history of planetary destruction, you are this week's Num Nuts of the Week. And if all that's not Num Nuts enough for you, Here's a real humdinger from episode 522 on June 24th. Fukushima, with its three melted-down reactors, overflowing tanks of radioactive water, radiation hotspots, and so much more, desperately needs an image overhaul to attract tourists. So why not make it into a UFO research center? Yep, those brainiacs in Fukushima Prefecture have decided that's just what they need. And so a research facility on UFOs will open this week in the city of Fukushima in the hopes that the facility will become a new tourist hotspot. Uh, wrong languaging there. A tourist attraction. Located inside UFO Furia Khan, the center will analyze witness reports, create a network of researchers in Japan and abroad, and plan events to lure UFOs to Fukushima Prefecture. I wonder what those will look like. But that begs the question, to what end? 
to use advanced ET technology to fix the melted-down reactors, neutralize the radiation, siphon off the tritium-laced radioactive water stored on site to use as, I don't know, the extraterrestrial equivalent of lemonade? The project has been funded by Fukushima Prefecture, which obviously has more money than sense and is desperate to recast itself as something other than the hot mess that it is. And so, yeah, the truth may be out there, but you're not going to find it in Fukushima. And that's why, and the Furiacon Center on Unidentified Flying Objects, you are this week's... And now, here it is, that moment you've all been waiting for. Numbnuts of the Year 2021... The lie that nuclear is some kind of green energy, that it's some ultimate fix for the climate crisis. What kind of mass hypnosis is this that makes people think nuclear is green? Is it a lack of education and critical thinking skills, combined with the relentless drip, drip, drip marketing of nuclear industry self-promoting talking points? If something that's very existence makes deadly radioactive garbage that we have no way of safely storing or neutralizing for the next half million years and is dangerous to our health and survival, how can it ever be considered good for the environment, even short term? It's like in the 1870s. Morphine addiction ran rampant back then, and thus a new drug was heralded when it was marketed as safe, non-addictive, and a substitute that would rescue the addicts. Hence, it was named for an ultimate rescuer, heroin. Yeah, that's right, and we all know where that's gotten us. Now, the addictive substance is nuclear, and addled by mega-funded propaganda campaigns to keep that industry in the full upright position and charging ahead, making millions upon billions of dollars, that even with the truth right in front of government's very noses, they don't believe the truth. The worst example of this is the European Union. Right now, even as I am recording this, the EU is considering whether to sink billions of euros into supporting the development and build of untried, untested designs of small modular nuclear reactors to combat climate change. Really? Really? I thought European education was better than what we have here in the U.S. and that Europeans still valued critical thinking skills. Well, apparently not, at least not in government. Either that, or the money under the table is so good, or the economic promises so juicy, or the economic threats so great, that even otherwise intelligent and discerning people are falling for it. The only thing green about nuclear is the way that radiation is depicted in graphic design. The money being wasted on keeping nuclear oligarchs in power, their sons in $4 million cars, and their daughters in stables filled with Olympic-grade dressage horses, that money could be used more beneficially and immediately for a full-on build-out of solar, wind, geothermal, hydroelectric, tidal, and all the other genuinely safe, clean, and renewable energy sources that won't damn us to a future plagued by radiation and its damages. 
if the old technologies have to die in order for us to have safe, clean, and renewable energy, let them die. Buggy whip makers had to bite the bullet when cars took over and they became obsolete. Let the buggy whip nuclear industry mavens take their licks and bow out with only their offshore fortunes and their missile silo hidey holes to console them. Then, lest the rest of the world experience energy sanity and work on getting genuinely renewable energy in place before it's too late. All that is just to explain why anyone, any government or ruling body that believes that nuclear is somehow a green energy and has anything to do with handling the climate crisis is this year's Nuclear Hot Seat Numbnuts of the Year. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, December 28, 2021. My deep gratitude to all of you who listen to this show, because without you, I'd just be talking to myself in my living room and my dog would just be freaked out for no reason at all. Now, if you haven't already done so and would like to get Nuclear Hot Seat delivered via email every week, it's easy. Just sign up for it at NuclearHotSeat.com, look for the yellow box, and sign up for a weekly email. It will give you the link as soon as it posts, as well as a short description of some of the material that's inside. We are also open to your suggestions, so please, you're on the ground in your neighborhood. If you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. And if you appreciate these weekly verifiable updates on nuclear issues around the world, take a moment, go to nuclearhotseat.com, look for that big red button, click on it, follow the prompts, and know that anything you do will help and we really appreciate your support. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2021, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as proper attribution is provided. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, wishing all of you a 2021 that is energy renewable and nuclear free. But in the meantime... Don't go holding your breath. That has been your final nuclear wake-up call of 2021. So whatever you do, do not go back to sleep, because we are all still in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb.